All right, as we intimated a moment ago, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 58. It's not a very long chapter, 14 verses. We'll read all 14. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions, and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast? And an acceptable day to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? And to let the oppressed go free? And that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry? And that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him? And that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning. And thine health shall spring forth speedily. And thy righteousness shall go before thee. And the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry and he shall say here I am. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke the putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places, and thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth, 
and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Our quotation this afternoon is again from the Reverend Samuel Miller. Speaking of a religious fast, Dr. Miller says, Still it is evident that the primary object of a religious fast is evangelical humiliation. To attempt to keep such a fast then without entering deeply into the consideration of our sins and mourning over them is really to place out of sight the most prominent part of the observance or the prominent object, excuse me, of the observance. This is peculiarly a day for a man to afflict his soul, Isaiah 58, 5, for all the pollutions of his nature, for all the evil he has done, and for all the abominations which are committed around him. This is a season in which it is incumbent upon us, if ever, to call to mind with cordial penitence our personal sins, our family sins, the sins of the church and of the nation, to labor, if I may so speak, with concentrated effort, to take strong, profound, and abasing views of our heinousness in the sight of God, to meditate upon them again and again until the heart is in some measure broken and contrite. To repent as in dust and ashes and to apply anew to that atoning blood by which alone our guilt can be washed away and to that Holy Spirit of promise who alone can destroy the reign of corruption and heal all our backslidings. Such exercises... Though humiliating, do good as doth a medicine. Blessed are they who thus mourn, for they shall be comforted. Writes Reverend Miller. So, maybe theoretical, the causes of our fast earlier today. Now today we look at the fast itself. uh, A little bit more practical guidance on how we fast and what we do. In order to a fast. Isaiah 58 I think is a, is a grand passage for that. As we said earlier. We say again. Because these sermons are not pleasant sermons to hear. I want to make sure that you understand. Number one as we said last hour. We do not fast to alleviate judgments already upon us. These judgments are our friends. They have taught us that we need repentance. And so they are our friends. We don't want them to go away per se. That's not the, that's not the, the cause of our fasting. When we think of judgments yet to come that will intensify and, will, and where the Lord, if you will, tightens his grip or tightens his fist and draws down upon the wickedness of our churches, our nation, ourselves, and so on. Well then we fast for repentance from those sins that would draw down even greater judgments upon ourselves. And this is what Joel taught us in chapter 2. We learned a few things about the heart. Joel told us to rend our heart and not our garments. And that's not to, to say as we said that these are opposites one to another. But it is useless to rend the garment without rending the heart. 
is what Joel is getting at there. So a little bit more work here this afternoon on, oh, maybe some particulars of our fasting. And also at the outset, I'd like to say that I know that uh, some of you uh, will not be able to partake for a whole day because of your labor, because of your physical constitution. Uh, We'll talk more about that on Tuesday night. But what I want to say is that if you cannot participate to the fullest extent, participate to some extent as you are able. And the Lord bless our fast as we, as we come to him Tuesday night and Wednesday. Okay, so as we look at Isaiah chapter 58, there are several things that come to the fore here. The command of the Lord by his prophet is for him to cry out. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. And trumpets in scripture are warning shots. Whenever we hear about trumpets, they precede something that is about to happen. Sometimes, well, there were two silver trumpets in Numbers chapter 10 that Moses was told to manufacture. He was to make them himself. Two silver trumpets. And they were for a few things. They were to call the people together to worship. They were to be blown over their new moon sacrifices and other such things as that. Then there are other times when those trumpets were blown as warnings. Enemies were approaching and so they blew the trumpet as it were, if I can use the military term, to muster the people, to put them in their order for battle, to set up their defensive posture against the enemy. Notice that Isaiah is commanded to use his voice like a trumpet, to lift it up as a warning to the people of God that they should cease doing what they are doing and do something different instead, that they should stop doing what they have been doing and that they should follow the Lord instead. And we'll see where they had erred and what they had done. It is interesting to note that they had erred in exactly the topic that we're talking about today. They were fasting all right, but were they fasting? It's a good question. We want to make sure in our fast that we set forth every godly means that we have to make use that we're fasting truly. And not like it was here in Isaiah chapter 58. We'll turn for a moment over to the prophet Zechariah. Chapter 7, that's the second Z, one book before the end of the Old Testament. In Zechariah chapter 7, verse 4. No, we we, we can't start in verse 4, we have to start in verse, uh, let's start in verse 1. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Kislev, when they had sent unto the house of God Sherezer and Regem Melech and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak to the priests which were in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done these 
so many years. Let's stop and explain that. So there were two different fasts that the children of Israel observed in the fifth month, and I think it was the ninth month, right? Isn't that what it says? In the fifth and ninth months. And in those months, those were commemorations. Those were memories of, first of all, when uh, the wall fell, and second of all, when Gedaliah was killed. And in both of those, those were dire judgments upon the people. And so all the time of their 70-year captivity, while they were in captivity, they fasted in, the, in, in those two months in commemoration of those two evils that had befallen them. Now we are in the days of Zechariah. We have come back to the land. We're building up the temple of God again. And so the people of God are asking, should we continue to fast? Well, it seems an honest enough question. But remember what we said earlier today about fasting? We said that it was something that is to be undertaken under certain providences, under certain emergent circumstances, and not in a regular way. If we make it, can I say it this way? If we make it seasonal, if we make it a time when we're going to do it the same time every month or every week or every year or every whatever it is, it loses its special nature. It's no longer a special fast. It's a regular fast. And whenever fasts take on a regular component in scripture they end up being perverted what does the pharisee say i fast twice in the week i pay tithes of all that i receive he has two fasts every week that he does but he does them in this regular way when god has not commanded that kind of regular observance God has given command and example in scripture with regard to fasting. And it is when signal judgments or signs of judgment are upon us. We respond to those signs. This keeps us what? It keeps our hearts tender toward what's happening around us. Instead of thinking that we should use a fast regularly according to a particular clock or calendar... Rather, what we see in fasting in Scripture is that when the people of God are afflicted, then they fast. This keeps us tender to afflictions. And so, they're asking, now that we've come back from captivity, should we continue these fasts as we have been? Let's pick up the reading in verse 4. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month. Okay, I stand corrected. I said fifth and ninth. Sorry about that. In the fifth and seventh month, even those 70 years, did ye at all fast unto me, even unto me? And when ye did eat and when ye did drink, did ye not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity, and the cities thereof round about her when men inhabited the south and the plain? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment, show mercy and compassions every man to his brother, and oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor, and let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. That's fascinating, isn't it? They ask about fasting 
And the Lord draws them back to examining their hearts to see whether or not they are harboring sin against their neighbors and brethren. Back to Isaiah 58. The prophet is commanded here, isn't he, to lift up his voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Beloved, a part of the preaching ministry is indeed to reveal and put finger upon sins. It is to cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet. It's not Old Testament stuff. The Apostle Paul will tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge thee before Jesus Christ and his elect angels, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. This is not Old Testament stuff. Sometimes ministers have to take off the gloves and preach about sin. When we come to a fast, this is how we preach. This is something we need to hear. Now, notice then the Lord changes his tone and and speaks with sarcasm to the people of God. Notice verse 2. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Now either the Lord has imbibed in some sarcasm here or this verse has been lifted from some other portion of scripture and simply dropped in here wholesale. The Lord is speaking with sarcasm. They are indeed doing all of those things outwardly but not inwardly at all. When we approach our fast this coming week, beloved, we want to do so inwardly as well as outwardly. Oh, the outward is important. But the outward without the inward, as we heard earlier, rending your garments without rending your heart, useless. Useless. So while they had a profession of delighting to draw near to God, the way they fast and the way they keep their Sabbath showed that that was was an empty profession, as Isaiah will go on to show. So let's go on and take a look then. What is the criticism of the Lord? Well, first of all, the people say, Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? First of all, let me say that a people that respond like this, when they say, We have fasted, Lord, and you haven't done anything, they've been looking for the wrong thing to be done in the first place. They were fasting, hoping to get out from under temporal judgments. They just wanted relief. And if we fast, God will will love us more and he'll deliver us from our temporal difficulties. If that's the purpose of our fast this Wednesday, beloved, we're wasting our time. As the people in Isaiah 58 wasted theirs. 
They're looking for the wrong solution. And so they turn away dissatisfied with the Lord's response. What ought we to be fasting for? What did we hear earlier today? We ought to be fasting with regard to repentance from sin. The identification, the taking aim at, the turning from, and the mortification of sin. We want to be like Josiah, king of old, when he went on his famous iconoclastic tour of the northern kingdom. You remember what he did? He prepared himself, he gathered up all of his people, all that would accompany him, his soldiers and his guard. And what did they do? They pointed themselves north and away they went. And whenever they saw an idol or a grove or a high place, what did they do? They took aim, they fired, they destroyed, they burned it to powder, and they cast it over the land. And then they moved on to the next one. They did what we might call a Sherman's march to the sea against sin. Right? Beloved, that's how we ought to look upon our own sins. We ought to prepare ourselves, get ready, examine the land, the landscape of our hearts. We ought to find every high place. We ought to grind it to powder and straw it over the land. That's what a fast is about. And if that's what we're looking for, beloved, if we're fasting so as to make our voice to be heard on high, we will find progress. The Lord will answer from heaven. If we're looking simply for relief from temporal judgments, like the people in Isaiah 58 were, we will, we will come away dissatisfied. It's not a fast. So, wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Let's stop right there first. In the day of your fast ye find pleasure. Now, this is the Lord saying, you're doing it wrong. Okay? What is the first? In that you find pleasure. Fasting and pleasures are inconsistent with one another. We don't call it a fast. You know, uh, I took an hour off this afternoon and now I'm going to go to the steakhouse tonight. <laughs> it, is, it is completely out of character. You remember uh, what, that, what this kind of mischaracterization is about. You remember that there was a day when Moses and the elders of Israel were weeping by the tent door, right? Tens of thousands of Israelites had died because of Baal Peor. And what they had done there. And here comes a guy. And he's got his foreign wife. And they're just going to go right on by the temple. And into their tent like nothing's wrong. Well Phineas rises up. And executes judgment in that day. Remember that. That's the same kind of. Out of character. It would be for someone to say. I'm fasting and yet. Finding their pleasure. Fasting is not a day for pleasure. Fasting is a day for affliction. And some of that affliction is self-wrought. It is intentional. And that according to God's command. We do without food to feel hungry. The people of God of old wore sackcloth to feel scratchy. 
They slept on the ground instead of in their beds. There are all kinds of things that people have done over the centuries in the time of a fast. Some, with the wrong motive, understood. But still, everyone of those even undertaken with the wrong motive understood that a fasting and pleasure are antithetical one to another. This is not what a fast is about. A fast is about recognizing that we don't deserve comforts and pleasures. We afflict ourselves to show the Lord that we know we ought to be afflicted for our sins. A fast is, it can be a public fast like we have called. A fast can be a family, private fast. It could even be a secret fast. Jesus will talk about that, right? When you fast, what does he say? Comb your hair. Wash your face. Go out into public like you would normally if you have something to do out there. If you can't, avoid that. But don't broadcast that you're fasting. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father which is in heaven. You fast in secret. And your Father which sees in secret will will reward thee openly. Right? Matthew chapter 6. So... The first thing that they were doing is they were exacting their pleasures. That's inconsistent with fasting. They were, they were making sure that in their fasting, they weren't mm, too much out there. They wanted to make sure they had a couple of things fun, a couple of things pleasant, some good things to eat. No, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. Exact all your labors. And what that means is they just refused to retreat. They, they refused to take that as a private thing and do without their labors. As a matter of fact, they turned it into a time of greater intensity for their labors. They exacted all of those labors. They made sure that they got paid. They made sure that their servants were out and about working when they told them to. They made sure that they were collecting as they ought to have, they thought. They didn't refrain literally from their every workaday world. They didn't draw back. Now, some of you may be able to do that to a lesser or more, a greater extent. If you, if you have to work, you have to work. But there are other things that you can do, other ways that you can fast, other ways that you can afflict your soul. So, you find your pleasure, you exact all your labors. Notice number four, verse four. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Interesting. Verses 3 and 4. The objection here is the fast was called in humiliation and repentance from sin. Instead, they found pleasure. The same day they pressed all their labors. And then also what they did was they fasted not for humiliation but for pride and contention to smite with the fist of wickedness. What does that mean, to smite with the fist of wickedness? This is exactly the opposite of the fast that we read about in Zechariah 7 and here in Isaiah 58, where the fast is to humiliate or humble us to the point that we are indeed brought to kindness to our brothers instead of haughtiness over them. Where our hearts are to go out to those who are in need. And remember Old Testament parlance here. That when, when it talks about the needy. It's not just the needy in their, in their bellies. 
in their bank accounts. It's the spiritually needy. Our hearts are drawn out to them just as much. A proper fast, you can examine your hearts to know if you're partaking of a proper fast, then you're going to find spiritual tenderness, beloved, to all. Why? Because in your fast, you have been brought so very low that it doesn't matter who you look at, you're looking up. And so the talk of kindness and and dealing your bread to the hungry. But it's not just the physically hungry, beloved. It's to put away all of this sort of haughty attitude, which Reformed Presbyterians are famous for, by the way. Putting it all away. And instead, drawing out our soul to the hungry. It's being brought low enough to where that strife and contention simply melts away. And how were they fasting in Isaiah 58? They were fasting for strife and contention and to strike, to smite with the fist of wickedness. If we're fasting properly, it will be a day of humiliation. Humiliation for ourselves, impatience, irritableness, all of that goes away and suddenly seeing what we deserve, seeing what God would give us if he brought justice to our doorstep today. We say, oh, how foolish I've been. How foolish. Verse 5. Well, at the end of verse 4, he says, when, it's, when you exact your labors, when you find your pleasure, when you fast for strife and debate, when you fast to smite with the fist of wickedness, this is that famous phrase that we've been looking at, ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. You're wanting to be heard by somebody else instead. You're wanting to be heard by your neighbor, by the church across town, whatever it is. But it's not on high that you want to be heard if that's your attitude in your fast. This is direct speech, isn't it, from the prophet? You're not fasting so that God would hear. You're wanting somebody else to hear, like that Pharisee that we talked about a moment ago. Now verse 5. Is it such a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? And we have to understand a little bit of Hebrew contextualization here as we read verse 5. Because verse 5 sounds pretty good, doesn't it? At first blush. But the Lord is saying, is this the fast that I have chosen? We might add the word merely. Is it merely for a man to afflict his soul? Is it merely to bow down his head as a bulrush? Is it merely to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day unto the Lord? And when we add that word merely, then we get to the heart of the matter. They're fasting so they can be seen. 
by others, not by God. Beloved, we want to avoid that. We want to avoid that at all costs. Our Lord Jesus Christ is characterized in Isaiah chapter 42 as the servant of the Lord. Listen as Isaiah prophesies of Christ. By the way, uh, this particular passage is repeated in Matthew chapter 12. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, mine elect in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and the smoking flax he shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not fail, nor be discouraged, till I have set judgment in the earth and the isles shall wait for his law. Listen to what the prophet says about Christ. He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. You'll not see him out there hoping everyone sees him. Rather, what he will do is he will not break the bruised reed. He will not quench the smoking Flax. That is, can I put it in the parlance of Isaiah 58? He will not merely bow down his head as a bulrush, but he will draw out his soul to the hungry. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he does. This is the fast that was undertaken by our Lord. If I might draw those two passages together. So, now verse 6. The rhetorical questions are answered, right? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day unto the Lord? Of course, the answer is obviously no. No. To desire to be seen. To have all the outward earmarks ready before the eyes of men. To rend the garment and not the heart. This is not an acceptable fast. Verse 6, is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house, when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? So verses 6 and 7, they teach us the proper kind of fast. And notice that it begins here, in the heart. If we want our fast to be heard on high, like I told you at at, uh, Storytime Children, it begins in the first circle, the really small one, the one that's right here. And then it goes to here, and then it goes to here. We start here. Why? Because... We must have a proper humility to press forth into those other areas where we will confess sins that perhaps, like Daniel and like Ezra and like Nehemiah, we ourselves did not commit. We were not guilty personally of those sins, but we were connected to those who did commit those sins. 
But, in, but we will not have proper humility toward that until we have proper humility in the smallest circle. It is indeed, I believe, the failure of that smallest circle to do the work there that causes us with anger and impatience and disdain to call out sins with our finger from across the aisle. You, you, them, Washington, Austin, the news, the media, and it is with a snarl on our lips that we say such things. Why? Because we failed to start here. <clears throat> if we start here, then we will still see all of those things as sins. But the anger, haughtiness, and disdain will go away and it will be replaced with a true, godly grieving over sin. That's when we're fasting, beloved. That's when we're fasting. So, what does it say? Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness? Let go of them. Loose those bands that hold you in wickedness. Your sinful anger. Your irritability. Your impatience. Your haughtiness. My haughtiness. I'm, I don't mean to say you. that I'm, I don't involve myself in these things. To undo the heavy burdens. That is, stop burden laying. Stop resting things on people that you won't do yourselves. Like Peter says in the Acts Council. Why are we resting a yoke upon the Gentiles that neither we nor our fathers were able to keep? We're pretending, beloved. That's what Peter told the council. We ought to be telling ourselves that. That you let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry that thou bring the poor that are cast out into thy house? <clears throat> and I think if we want to talk general equity here in verse 7, we're going to talk about that we're, that we're looking at spiritual things, not material or temporal things. So often the church thought it was an army. You, do, do you know what I mean by that? Napoleon said the army travels on its stomach. There are several missionary organizations and ways of doing missions in the past that have thought that the church must go forth as a stomach and provide food for everybody and then we can talk gospel. With Jesus it was the other way around. The multitudes continued three days with me now and they have no food. Gospel first, food later. Right? Set the right things in their proper priority. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry to bring the poor that are cast into thy house, and when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh. Well, these are, I, you know, I, I think I can read a congregation. It gets a little, really quiet. We're contemplating these things. It's convicting. That's good. Listen to the promises of God that follow up now in verse 8. Then, then shall thy light break forth as the morning and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy rearward. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt say, and he shall, 
Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Hineni, here I am. If thou take away from the midst of the, the yoke, that is what? Burdens that God himself has not required. The putting forth of the finger, and I take that as the finger of accusation. You, you, you. Take that away. And the speaking vanity. And if thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness shall be as the noonday. And the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that be of thee shall build the old waste places. You see what is said there? This is a multi-generational thing. Our children shall rise up after us and finish the work that we were incapable of in our short and vapor-like lives. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations. Thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Certainly, we could use some restoration and certainly we could use some healing up of the breaches in Zion. We'll get there through fasting, beloved. That's the promise of God here. Shall we believe him? Shall we trust him? Shall we call upon him? And then the chapter ends with something that is very closely related to a fast. If thou take away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord and honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. You know why that's only one verse long? It's not because God doesn't care about the Sabbath. It's because he's already given us everything we need to know when talking about the fast. He's already drawn it out. He's already explained it to us. What were they doing in the day of their fast? They were concerned about themselves. What were they doing on the Sabbath? They were concerned about themselves. Their own things. Their own words. Their own thoughts. The Lord says, take your foot off of my Sabbath. Don't treat it like a piece of property that you can trample. Just like we could apply that same thing. Take your foot off of my fasts. Don't call them an acceptable fast. When you exact all your labors and do all your own stuff. It's not, that's not what it's for. And notice the same kind of promise. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth. And feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. And then note this promise. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And notice that's L-O-R-D caps. The mouth of the covenant keeping promise honoring God has spoken it. As we close then, let me just say a couple of things. We've seen what an acceptable fast is. It starts here. It must start here. With that proper kind of, of personal humiliation. So by way of instruction then, fathers, heads of households, mothers along with them, as you prosecute the fast in, in your households, 
you yourselves, and then lead your children to that smallest circle first. Begin there. And may I say, abide there a bit until that humiliation comes. Because it is only with that humiliation then you can rightly look at the greater circles with that proper kind of compassion and care that we ought to have. If we're not going to we're going to be like our Lord Jesus Christ and not raise up our voice in the street and not fast so as to be seen of men, but fast so as to be heard on high, then we will also rest in that smallest circle until we can rightly look upon those other circles with an attitude that is more like the Lord's with grief over sin rather than a haughty separation of ourselves from it and a pointing of the finger, right? The second thing is then draw your little ones next to you, parents. Draw them next to you as you are able. And then begin praying for those larger circles. And in our day, if we mention some of those things, I mean, some of those things are not even fit to mention in public company, are they? So be modest, be gentle with your little ones as you draw them near. But you're, as we learned from, from Reverend Kuhlman in our study of that book, your children are looking to you to learn how to fast properly. They're looking to you to learn how to prosecute that biblical that wondrous, that gracious ordinance of special worship fasting. And they will need your help to do that. Husbands, your wives will be craving your leadership on this. So make sure you take that up. And be leaders in your home. Provide some instruction. If you can't be there all day, if you must go to work, then provide some instruction. Leave some notes or some instruction behind you so that you will help your families in these ways. We have a wondrous opportunity to set before us this week. Our presbytery, I think, has wisely helped us with a wondrous opportunity. If I might close where we began earlier today in Joel chapter 2, I want to remind you of something the Lord said through his prophet there. In Joel chapter 2. <clears throat> verse 12. Therefore also now, saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Notice this verse 14. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. We don't fast for judgments already incurred. They are our friends. They have drawn us into humiliation. We fast pertaining to what's coming. And if 
a number of us are reading the scriptures right and more and more voices are joining this unanimous chorus. We ought to be looking at judgments greater than what we see today in days to come. Except the church repent. Beloved, let us ask the Lord that we as the church would cease filling our land with violence through idolatry. On a day like today when most of the world makes mirth, as we read earlier from the prophet Ezekiel, if that sword is sharpened and furbished, should we make mirth? This is a wondrous opportunity to avert judgments threatened. As we read in Jeremiah 18 earlier, if I say, God says, if I say I'm going to judge a people, If that people turn and repent, I will repent of the evil that I said I would do. Every prophecy of the Lord, whether of doom or of blessing, carries with it that moral element. It is designed for the people of God that they should rightly respond to God and his proclamation that we fast and we pray that he might turn from judgments expected. What a hope we have. What a wonderful thing the Lord has left us with here in verse 14. Who knoweth if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. There's another group of people that asked that same question. Do you remember who it was? The Ninevites. And what did the Lord do? He turned from the judgments. Let's stand and call upon the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the prophet Isaiah and his instruction to us, or Thine instruction to us through that prophet. Lord, we ask that Thou wouldst help us to consider these things, to make a deep meditation, a deep consideration of them, that we would not receive them as we do so many things today hurriedly, without proper gravity. Grant us, Lord, that we might have just a little bit more time to think and to call upon Thee to spare Thy people. O Lord, as Thou didst instruct the prophet Joel, so we ask that the priests who stand between the porch and the altar, let them say, O Lord, spare Thy people and give not Thy heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? So, Lord, we pray according to the prophet Joel, and we ask that thou wouldst be gracious to us as we call upon thy name. We ask all these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.